Wow. I want to just pray and I'd love every person to leave this morning having heard personally from the heart of the Father. Not just another message, not just another sermon. We've heard a lot of those. But this morning to actually feel like God is speaking personally into your life and and just asking you from his heart to yours how he wants you to respond uh, in this particular Christmas season. So would you do something just to, to indicate that you're open to receive? Father, we just say yes to you this morning. We are so grateful, Father God, that we are not meant to do life without you. You are our strength. You are our our shield. You are our wisdom. And so as we hear your word this morning, I just pray that every heart would be moved and touched and softened as they lean in to listen to what you have to say to them as an individual. In Jesus' lovely name, amen. Well, at this time of year, I don't know if this happens to you, but I get reflective. I think about the year that's happened, but I also think about the year to come. So if you were to ask me what are some of my hopes for Real Life Church uh, for the coming year, I would say this. I would say I want, want our church to be relatable and relevant to the culture of our day, yet uncompromising in our representation of the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Probably the best example of that is to use two things. First of all, uh, over uh, many years, how we've got different translations of the Bible in order to connect with people through different generations, but also through church music. Um, just to explain what I'm talking about when I make that statement. Down through the history of the church, there have been particular types of music that the church has sung that have been relevant to that day. Um, The lyrics, uh, the language um, that has related to that particular era. And hymns were the choice of the day. Then uh, for those of us who remember, I know my husband does, Scripture in Song, Uh, And moving forward to what we express today through musical expressions such as Hillsong and Bethel and and Elevation. And each era has heralded in the need for relatable music that each particular generation connects with. And in the same way, the methods that we use to present the gospel of Jesus Christ need to be relatable to the completely unchurched person who is out there right now who needs to hear a relevant message about the love of Jesus Christ. And, you know, the completely unchurched person who comes into our church in 2023 um, may need us to present the gospel differently to how we presented it in 2000. We need to embrace the use of modern-day methods to enhance the message of Jesus. And Paul understood this. He got that way back when he said, I became all things to all people that I might win some. I think that all of us will have already noticed that we are living in unparalleled times in history where people are living without a moral compass, where our current global world systems are not founded on the Bible as the centre for law and morality. 
And once our whole legal system had a strong biblical reference to form and to guide it, that is no longer the case. You can this morning go tut, tut, tut. You know, we need to go back. We can respond in fear and, and denial about the times that we are living in. But what I want to say to you this morning, to the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be part of the solution. Amen? Not be in the corner in shock, but we need to be a strong voice that, that responds to the culture of our day. So I want to have a conversation with you this morning about two people in the Bible who were completely unfamiliar and disconnected with anything to do with the church of their day. They had no personal reference to anything related to Jesus and the gospel and you would not have found them in a church service um, very, very much. In fact, not at all, probably. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to have this perception of Jesus, that he is mild, that he is gentle, that he is so holy. He is indeed all of those things, but he is so much more than that. Because although we see these characteristics through history and through scripture, we also have to know that Jesus, our Jesus, that meek and mild Jesus was incredibly gutsy. He was controversial. And that you are, he often found himself right smack in, middle, in the middle, in the thick of messy humanity. He kicked against societal norms and he was always advocating for the marginalised. He was not swayed by public opinion and he was never afraid to call hypocrisy out. He was never afraid to be controversial when calling out the truth. And so the very first person I want to introduce you to this morning is found in Luke 19 verses 1 to 10. And it's Zacchaeus, the tax collector. So, so read with me, if you will. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Not, I don't need you to read out loud, thank you. Um, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So imagine, here is this short guy, Zacchaeus, that nobody likes. He's dodgy. He's one of those guys that you say, hey, watch out, that guy's dodgy. Yeah? 
he's, he's really, really dodgy in his dealings as a tax collector. He rips people off. And the general public's opinion of him is very low. But Zacchaeus has his own brokenness. And he hears that Jesus is coming to his town. So he is so desperate to see him that he decides to climb a tree, even at the risk of being mocked for being short, and resorting to, he resorts to climb a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, Jesus sees Zacchaeus' heart and brokenness and says to him, I'm coming to your house, your house, for tea. Now, on saying this in front of the crowd, they are horrified. They start to, to start reeling off all of the things that Zacchaeus is. They start to speak badly about him and they, they're horrified that Jesus has chosen of all the incredibly amazing, wonderful people of Jericho, that Jesus has cho- chosen this dodgy rip-off tax collector to go to his house and hang out with, with Zacchaeus. And they can't see, that crowd cannot see that there is any way that Zacchaeus could ever change. You know, you might be sitting here this morning and you might have people like that in your life who don't believe that you could ever be anything different to how you have always been. You may have been disqualified by your family, your friends. They'll never amount to much. I know them. I know what they're like. But... That is not how God sees us. He looks at us through very different eyes. In Luke 4.18, he says, This man is very sinful. He says it. He's gutsy. He He states the truth. But I came into this world to save people who are lost and sinful, just like Zacchaeus. Jesus is not phased by how wicked that Zacchaeus has been, how many wrong things that he's done. He's not keeping a list and a record of his wrongs. And this morning I want to say to everyone in the room, he's not keeping a list or a record of your wrongs. And sometimes you love to come before him and disqualify yourself from worshipping him or from praying to him because you feel like he's got an account, a list of your wrongs and all the stuff-ups. He hasn't. He hasn't. He gives us opportunity after opportunity. He says, pick yourself up. Have another go. That's the heart of the Father. You know... I believe that Jesus purposely, publicly and loudly shouts up to Zacchaeus in the tree to get a message to that whole crowd. He wants everyone to know that he is not swayed by the opinion of others. That his message is to the broken, the lowly, the lost, irrespective of the life that they are leading. And he wants everyone in that crowd to know that he is fully aware. He's not naive. He's not stupid. 
He's not so holy that he doesn't see you, that he doesn't see me, that he doesn't see Zacchaeus. He wants everyone to know that he is fully aware of what sort of guy he, that Zacchaeus is, that he's dodgy, that he rips people off. But rather, the agenda of Jesus is he is moved by radical compassion, by the state of a man and a woman's heart. And all he's interested in is not sifting through all your sins and mistakes. All he's interested in is your response to repentance and to forgiveness. God's grace is incomprehensible to the religious. God's grace is incomprehensible to the self-righteous and to those who are judgmental and condemning. And this is best described by the parable that a lot of you will be familiar with. It talks about removing the moat from your own eye before you judge others. And it's found in Matthew 7 verses 1 to 5 if you want to reread that later. So here they are at dinner. Picture this. Here is Jesus. Everyone's flabbergasted because here he finds himself at dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And he obviously has a conversation, maybe a private conversation. But he is absolutely goes straight to the, to the, the, the core issue. And he calls Zacchaeus out of his sin into forgiveness. Not just into forgiveness, but also into a new way of living. And we see the evidence of this because we see that Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. Can you see the transformation that has occurred in this man's heart and life? It's not just about saying the words, but there is evidence of a different way of living. There is evidence of a complete transformation. When Jesus comes into your heart and life and you become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, he's gutsy enough to call you out to live better than you were living, to be better than you were living. Amen? When salvation occurs, there should be evidence of change, not only in your heart but in your lifestyle. And you know, today, just as it was then, Jesus is calling each one of us out, not just to be Christians in word only, but to be gutsy, to be not compromising uh, in our following of Jesus. And what he does is he says this, he says, I'm calling out your best self, the one I created you to be. So step up. And step out and be everything I've called you to be. And represent Jesus well. Don't just take the parts of Christianity that suit you, but take it all. Be courageous, be gutsy, be all that he has called you and I to be. So that's Zacchaeus. Come with me to Luke 7. Verses 38 to 50, where we meet the second person I want to introduce you to this morning. 
Uh, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman is touching him because she is a sinner. So that's the self-talk going on in his mind. And Jesus answered and said to him, "Uh, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Let me point out that Jesus finds himself at the home of a Pharisee. He's not gathering with Christians, he's at the home of a Pharisee. He is completely unfazed by the company he keeps because his whole agenda is to seek and save the lost, no matter what culture or social standing that he finds them in. Let me also say, after reading this particular passage of Scripture, that if you were to use your own imaginations this morning, this has got to be the all-time classic awkward moment. Would you want to be in that room? Picture this, if you can. Jesus is reclining in the home of a Pharisee. Everything's going wonderfully well. And suddenly... With no apparent warning, an uninvited woman who is known to be a prostitute enters the home of this Pharisee and comes up close to Jesus, breaking all cultural norms of that day, she begins to weep. Despite every social protocol that is being broken in this room, Jesus is completely unaffected by the awkwardness of the moment. He sees this woman's tears. He is profoundly moved by radical compassion. 
that allows him to see way beyond who she is and if she has any right to be in that room. What he sees with his radical compassion is a woman who hates her life and she desperately, desperately wants a better one. But then if that is not awkward enough, he allows her to pour perfume on his feet and use her own hair. How intimate is that to wipe the perfume on his feet? Now, swing it back. Voice of reality. This whole act is from a law-breaking, immoral prostitute. This is completely scandalous. What is happening in this room? But then, when you just think it can't get any more awkward, she unashamedly begins to kiss his feet. Now, what Jesus sees in this broken woman who is in so much pain is a category of sin that is blatant and screamingly obvious. It would not have taken a person who is a rocket scientist to figure out from the, her outside appearance that this woman's sinfulness is evident on the outside and also the way she has socially conducted herself. But here's the thing. Lurking in that very same room was a rather more insidious unseen sin. That was judgmental, that was prideful, that was self-righteous. It is, of course, the sin of the highly religious Pharisee that immediately seeks to condemn Jesus' response to this prostitute. It is the sort of religious hypocritical judgment that condemns and belittles this behaviour and declares that if you are truly holy, Jesus, you must distance yourself from sin. But the radical compassion Jesus demonstrated did the complete opposite. And rather than distancing himself from the woman, he allowed her to be close to him and actually touch him. You know, real life church, Radical compassion is an absolute mess. It's really, really complicated. It's not black and white. It's not straightforward. It's really messy. Come on a Wednesday and Friday. Jesus allows sinners to interrupt him every time because he sees them really sees them in their sin. He looks straight at the core issue of brokenness and pain. But here's when this gutsy Jesus kicks in because he doesn't leave them there. He doesn't leave them hanging in that way of life, but he calls them out of their sin into a completely new life, a new way of living. He calls them into wholeness. He calls them into healing. 
He calls them out so that they can walk with their head held high as he was doing with this woman. And in verse 47, he says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So here we are, these two people. We don't even know the name of that lady. But we know that there was Zacchaeus and then there was this woman who came into the room. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is cutting edge. It calls you out of your life of sin and demands that you live differently. But here's the wonderful, wonderful thing. It's not through a whole set of religious rules, but it's through grace. God's grace and loving kindness leads us to repentance. It doesn't just lead us to repentance, but when we give our lives to Jesus, our whole faith journey and completely blows us away where time and time and time again he demonstrates his loving kindness, his forgiveness, his grace, pours it all over us. Again, anyone else had that happen to them? My whole life, yeah? Major stuff-ups, my whole life, but here I am only because of the grace of God. Amen. So here it is. The thing you see that Jesus did was he got involved. He got involved. He was so moved by people's sin and brokenness that he didn't distance himself. Yes, he was holy, but he didn't distance himself from their sin. But he went himself. He didn't send anybody else. He went himself into the mess of humanity. And he went to Zacchaeus' home. He got up close and personal and he got involved. And I want to ask all of us here in this room today and the finger points back at me. Are you willing to get involved with the mess of humanity? You see, the thing that moves me personally every day is what I see through my eyes. I see a pandemic of epic proportions and it's not called COVID. The greatest pandemic in the world today is loneliness and isolation. People really want to belong. They want to know without a shadow of a doubt that they are profoundly loved and accepted. Despite their past, their culture or their religion. You see, God's love is reckless and he pursues us with a radical compassion. He's feisty. He's coming after you with his love. And it breaks into your circumstance, no matter how broken, how messy, and calls you and I out of that life into his greatness. He calls every one of us out to be who we were created to be, who we were ordained to be in our mother's womb. Yeah? 
Now, you know me by now, and I always want to encourage everyone to apply God's word in actions and deeds. Faith without works is dead. It's not just lame, it's dead. So, everyone, in case you haven't noticed, it's Christmas. And I'm going to be so bold this morning to challenge every one of us in the room to get involved. Not in token gestures that ease our conscience. I'm talking about getting up close and personal. You know, it's not too late to get on the phone and invite your friends and neighbours to our carols tonight in the park. But get involved by saying, hey, we'll bring along some food in our picnic basket that you can share with us. That's getting involved. Yeah? Yeah? Why not invite a neighbour or a person from our community services over for a cuppa and cake during the Christmas season? Maybe on those quiet days after Christmas when not a lot's happening. You don't have to put on a lavish meal. It doesn't matter how tidy your house is. What people are looking for is they're looking for company and friendship. I love the fact that we do so much for our community by... Have a look over here. Have a look at these hampers. Our Christmas hampers, we were just so phenomenally uh, inundated and blessed with what you guys bought uh, to share with, you know, throughout the whole community. They went into our schools and just so many places of need. And it's just, I feel such an incredible sense of, of pride knowing that, that I belong to such a community. But we can open our hearts and our homes and be hospitable to one another in simple acts of, of kindness. And, you know, maybe some of you say, well, Bethan, I don't feel comfortable somebody coming to my home. You could take them out for a coffee. It's a really good place across the road called Dome. <laughs> you can invite a friend along to our Christmas Day service next Sunday at 9am. So I want to finish today by coming back to how I shared at the beginning of my message, how we need to be a church in 2023 that is relatable and relevant in a rapidly changing world. You know, in all honesty, it's just a lot easier to stick to what we know, isn't it? It's a lot more safety. It's a lot, you know, it's not so scary. But if we're going to do this, real life church, we need to be gutsy and brave to pull it off. We're going to have to be people who speak hope to the hopeless. We're going to have to speak acceptance to the lonely. We're going to have to speak inclusivity to the marginalised. You up for that? You know, there are some current social issues that the church in general, if I'm being really honest, we could have handled a whole lot differently. And we need to get a whole lot better at that. And my prayer is that every person who calls Real Life Church their home will be radically compassionate to a hurting and hopeless world, that we will represent the gospel of Jesus Christ well in a humble and integrous way. And we know that that has not been the case this year. There has been some things about the Christian church that have not been represented well. Oh, that we would, Pastor David, oh, that we would 
represent the gospel of Jesus Christ in a humble and integrous way. And the heart cry for my life is as a Christian that I would not just be a hearer of God's word, but I would put into action by getting involved in the mess of humanity, 